Hey guys, and welcome to the Movement Docs Podcast. I'm Jake. And I'm Mike. And we're just two guys who want to help students and clinicians grow in the field of rehab. Welcome to the show. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 13 of the Movement Docs Podcast. Today we have a special guest, Dr. Riley Cash, and that's Cash with a K. She's the first of her name, treasurer of wit, and conqueror of staircases, an ambassador of the escalators, the mother of turtles, queen of the pelvis, the breaker of myofascial adhesions, and restorer of function. Long may she reign. Riley graduated from Shenandoah University in 2017 with her doctorate in physical therapy. She did her undergraduate work at Greensboro College in Greensboro, North Carolina, where she was recruited to play softball and graduated in 2013 with a BS in exercise science. Mother of Turtles, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. We are... <laughs> what an intro. <laughs> <laughs> we are so, so happy that you're on the show with us. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't. I'm, first of all, let me say, I think you guys just told me that I'm the first female. Um, I'm not going to say that I'm pumped about that, but I'm pretty pumped about it. <laughs> We're excited to have you. Yeah. You got a lot of shoes to fill if you're going to be the first female on our show. I think I have um, my own shoes to fill. Thank you. Yeah. We also want to apologize for retroactively being somewhat sexist for not previously having a female on a show, but we wanted to have Riley be the first one. And so um, it is with great honor that we bring you onto our humble podcast. Thanks, we, guys. We are but peasants in the <laughs> presence of, of greatness. <laughs> All right. So, Mike, let's get this started. I didn't read the Google Doc as is tradition, so what are we talking about today? Yes, uh, so we're, we're talking a lot about just Riley's background in general, uh, her motivations for pursuing physical therapy, uh, her experiences as a recent new grad, and kind of like how she's been able to troubleshoot through that and what she's doing now, and uh, women's health, because we understand that that's a passion for Riley's and hoping that she can educate us a little bit more, and for anybody else listening that's interested in pursuing women's health. Now, Riley, is it? Do we still technically call it women's health, or is it shifted to pelvic health? What's mm, great question. Um, so I still refer to it as women's health. Um, if I'm talking to someone who has no idea what I'm talking about, sometimes I'll just use both. Mm -hmm. um, does the practice that I'm currently at you see both men and women? Yes. Hmm. Um, but women's health, I feel like it's just more popular. So I still go with that. Okay. All right. I feel like I kind of jumped ahead, but, um, now that we know slightly a little bit about you, can we know slightly more about you perhaps with a candid question about your background? Um, sure. <laughs> Can we know a little bit more about you? Oh, was that the question? I thought you were going to ask me a candid question about my background. <laughs> sure. Uh, well, uh, I'm five foot five. I like long walks on the beach. Um, and I have recently discovered heated bathroom floors in the best way. Because if you got, okay, have either of you experienced heated bathroom floors? 
No. I have I have not with the bathroom. No. I'm I'm here to tell you you haven't lived until you've had a heated bathroom floor. I didn't know that I needed this in my life, but I do. Hmm. So is that just like so it's just like this warming, like embracing feeling after you get out of like the shower or bathtub or something like that? It's like it's like a down blanket underneath your toes. And it's like, you know, when you get out of the shower in the winter, mm-hmm. like the past couple of weeks, it's been like three degrees outside. It's just like, I can't even explain it. It's just incredible. Yeah. So you guys, you guys need that. I'm serious. Definitely. That's something to look into. I know my folks uh, have like in their kitchen area, they have like a, they have like heated, heated floors in like the kitchen area. That, really? Yeah, they. It was from the house that they moved into, and it it's like baseboard, like water, not baseboard. It's like water heated, and so there's like hot water pipes that are running underneath the like kitchen and like a little bit of the living room area, and it's it's pretty nice. So I can only imagine that having that in the bathroom has to be like the most fantastic thing ever. Mike, I just didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, it's. it's I agree with you. Like in the winter time is the best thing ever because we have, there's like wooden floors that are next to like the kitchen area and everything. And your, your feet are cold and then you step down and you're like, Oh, I think I'll stay here for the rest of the day. Like (laughs) you're in this like warm pile and you're just like, okay. Yeah. I've I've definitely taken a nap there before. (laughs) (laughs) If that's not luxurious, I'm not really not sure what is. Mm. Wow. I'm, I'm so jealous right now. I have not, uh, I've not experienced this. I did one time I was in David's car and he had heated seats, and my butt was very warm. Mm. Um, and I liked that. Welcome to 2005, family. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm a little bit behind the curve. Um, but you know, one day, I, too, will experience a heated floor. Mm-hmm. Hopefully so. I'm going to put it on my, on my vision board. There you go. It's <laughs> perfect. Make make it so. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, we've heard a, we've heard a little bit about your background, Riley. Uh, what made you interested in like physical therapy in the first place? Like, what were your motivations? Uh, great question. Um, initially, actually, you guys, you both being duels, um, I was initially interested in athletic training. Mm. Um, what what? I know. Surprise, surprise. Um, so I did some shadowing in high school of the athletic trainer at my high school. Um, and I'm sad to say I totally hated it. <laughs> oh. yeah. We're going to edit that part out. Okay. Um, but, you know, you, that's what it's all about. Trial and error. Figuring out what you like. Figuring out what you don't like. Yeah. Um, so um, my story actually in PT is relatively vanilla. You know, the got her went to a pt thought they were really cool and i could do that um i did have a brief affair with ot um i didn't know if i wanted to do ot pt whatever whatever um but i was super lucky and got a an internship at walter reed oh wow um yeah and and by internship internship is a loose term um i was like a volunteer that like cleaned the tables but i got to like sit and (laughs) (laughs) sit and chat with like the ot's and the the wounded warriors and all those guys um i don't know uh 
for like a summer. Um, and it was really awesome. So I was like, Oh, maybe I want to do OT. And then hmm. I talked to another guy who was a PT and he was like, yeah, you definitely don't want to do OT. Hmm. Cause I just like, you know, when you're at Walter Reed, it's like cream of the crop. It's just like a different breed of what OT really is. Hmm. Um, so then I realized that PT, obviously I chose PT. Mm-hmm. So, which brought me to where I am today. Now, Riley, I know because I was in your class that uh, you have a very interesting story about your interview day. (laughs) Would you be willing to share that with everyone in podcast world? I would be happy to. Um, Blanket statement, I feel like this should be said, I do not recommend this (laughs) to be done on someone else's interview day. I wouldn't even recommend it for myself, but alas, things happen. So... (laughs) Uh, it's interview day. You know, it's my, really my first interview ever with anything. Like I had an interview for my summer job at Subway, which I feel like didn't really count. Mm. Um, but so, you know, you're super nervous. You're sitting there in your, in your suit and you're like sweating. You're like, what are they going to ask me? I have this file folder that's filled full of empty papers. I don't even know why I'm carrying it. Um, (laughs) And I, so I had my interview with Megan Bureau, who's one of the faculty members at um, Shenandoah and a, a third year student. And so I walk in the room, I sit down, you know, I shake everybody's hand. And the first question that they ask me is, so why do you want to be a PT? Hmm. And being the nervous, ridiculous person that I am, the first thing that came to my mind and I like couldn't stop myself was because I really like wearing khakis. <laughs> um, and so from then it would be, you know, everybody laughed and it was a, it was a, <laughs> a, a good icebreaker, I guess. <laughs> um, and obviously I got in, so maybe it worked. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> because I really I, love wearing khakis. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, what's funny is I haven't worn like true, like khaki colored khakis to clinic a single day since I've started working, <laughs> which is ridiculous. But, um, I talked to Megan Bureau a little time after that. And then every email that she sends me, which is almost never. Um, she titles it with like, Hey, Captain Khaki, <laughs> something ridiculous. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> they are quite comfortable though. I mean, depending on the khakis that you that you get, but they're so comfortable. They're very mm-hmm. functional. They look pretty nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. all around, it's just a good choice. Yeah. I mean, the versatile, what more could you ask for? I'm a little oh. bit more partial to the khaki short. Just because of my athletic training background, I feel like I'm more comfortable in that uh, that garb. Mm, um, a little bit more airflow. It's more, you know, if I need to get down and assess a situation on my knees or, you know, like do, nobody likes a wet khaki knee. No, that's <laughs> it's horrible, especially if you're wearing the khaki colored khakis. Mm-hmm. Just a, it's just a messy, wet, just a little spot on your knee, and it, mm-hmm. it doesn't always dry very effectively. The airflow around that particular body part is just not great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Suboptimal is is not. Heaven forbid if you sit down, don't do that. Ooh, mm-hmm. the, that's the khaki butt. The wet khaki butt is by far the worst. Mm-hmm. It's just frustrating that, for the rest of the day. Mike, you, I'm sure you know that feeling of wearing a nice pair of khaki shorts on your daily athletic training routine, and maybe it's been raining a little bit, and you go to sit on the gator, and you get that wet seat full of just rainwater in your khakis. It's instant regret. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mistakes were made. <laughs> it's like it's like the opposite of how cookies make you feel. It's it's the absence of cookies or or knowing that there are cookies there and then they're taken away from you. It's like, it's like if you re- if you think that time is a straight line and you also don't have cookies. Yeah. That's that's, that's kind of how it is. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> we've, we've digressed pretty far. So, uh, so, so Riley, did you did you always know that you wanted to pursue like health professions? Because uh, it seems like you were looking into like athletic training and occupational therapy, like physical therapy. Did you know your compass was kind of pointing you in the direction of like a health profession, or were you kind of just open to like any experiences, or or what were your motivations there? Just kind of curious. Uh, definitely. So I always knew that I wanted to do something with the medical field. I didn't know what, Hmm. um, I, med school was always sort of not on the table for a couple of reasons. One, I didn't want to take organic, organic chemistry. (laughs) Um, so that was out. Um, Two, I knew that I wanted to have a life Hmm. and PT is really awesome at being able, you know, you, you're never on call, Hmm. hopefully. Um, so I knew I wanted that. Um, so yeah, I guess I kind of always wanted to knew, do healthcare or something. I just didn't know exactly what. Cool. And so what brought you to Shenandoah University? How did you end up there? Great question again. Um, so I, the PT that I went to, so I hurt my knee in um, high school. Well, I don't really know if I hurt my knee or my knee just hurt me. I think it's kind of both. Um, <laughs> but she went to Shenandoah. So I was like, oh, okay, there's a PT school, which I had never heard of, mm-hmm. even though I live in Virginia. Um, but I, so I applied to every school in Virginia and Shenandoah was basically always my first choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I'd never been there until after I got my interview. Mm-hmm. Um so when I went there, I was like, okay, this, the vibe here is awesome. Um, the, it was clear that the faculty all loved each other and they weren't afraid to challenge the students and each other. And it just felt like, just fit like a glove. So I love that. Um, mm-hmm. so that's why I asked you, you know, my, uh, my roommate in PT school, Erica, she, uh, <laughs> she, I asked her the same question, like, why, why ask you? She's from like Arizona. Hmm. And she was like, because I, when I looked on the website, I liked the picture of the bridge. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> right. That's fair. <laughs> what a ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, it, it is a nice, it's a nice website and it's very like enticing when you go to the main page, you're like, oh, that is really pretty. It's a nice bridge. <laughs> Mike, remind me, we're going to have to use that as our Instagram photo. <laughs> yes, we'll definitely have to do that. It's going to be like that. And then like the classic netter photo of like the perennium. Oh God. You, just, you swipe right and you're like, Ooh. Oh God. <laughs> Welcome to women's health. yes that's good that's cool okay so so you it kind of fit like a glove like you had just said uh for su and that's why you kind of decided you wanted to go there um and su kind of gave you a a bunch of different opportunities uh for clinical rotations and stuff do you think you could uh speak to a couple of your favorite clinical rotations and like what you learned from them 
Yes. So my, so I'll talk about, well, two really. Um, so my first long-term rotation was at a burn unit slash ICU, Mm. um, at Wake Forest Baptist hospital in North Carolina. Um, it was, so basically all the clinics that I picked, I picked one that I knew that I wanted to do one that I was terrified of, but thought was really interesting and just was like, let's do it. When the heck else am I going to do this? And one where I got to travel. Mm-hmm. Um, so my one that I was terrified of and didn't know would, would never want to do what was super interested in was the burn unit. Okay. Um, learned an enormous amount about myself, uh, and my ability to see and experience incredibly terrifying things and still be somewhat successful at my role there. Hmm. Um, I also learned to never throw gasoline on a lit fire. (laughs) So everyone should take that home with them. Um, (laughs) but my, my CI was really wonderful. She really pushed me and helped me make me feel as comfortable and safe as I possibly could in a very uncomfortable environment. So I'm super grateful for her. Um, And then my second rotation was in women's health, um, which we'll be talking about relatively extensively here pretty shortly. So I'll save the details for that one. Um, And then my last rotation, um, everyone's going to be jealous. I went to Italy and practiced abroad for like 12 weeks. Um, It was cool. Uh, I learned an enormous amount about um, they have universal healthcare there. So I learned about that, um, a small amount of Italian. So I can maybe order your meal at a restaurant, but I <laughs> couldn't ask like how much does parking cost not on the cards? Hmm. Um, also to how to drive a stick shift. Um, and that Italy is one of the strangest, but most beautiful countries in the world. Um, and everyone should go for at least 14 days. Now, if I remember correctly, Riley, um, at least from my end of things, the vast majority of your time in Italy was mostly spent traveling because that's all I saw was just pictures of like different parts of the world and like you and Ashley and Brooke just like selfie and like ocean and pasta and like Italy. Mm -hmm. Um, So could you maybe talk to us about uh, the actual PT that happened and not the travel? (laughs) Because <laughs> I kept asking that question on every photo that you guys uploaded on Facebook, but no one ever took me seriously. Yeah. <laughs> um, so our well, so our schedule was kind of odd. They do, they being being the PTs over there, they do like five hour work days, which seems ridiculous, hmm. but and it is. But they have most of them have like two and three other jobs. Um, So they'll go to the clinic that we were at. They'd be there for five hours and then, you know, they'd go back to their town where they lived and they'd work like for three hours of private practice. And then they'd go somewhere else and work three more hours at a private practice. So really their days are very long. Um, but just at the particular clinic that we were at, they had five hour shifts, which is odd to me. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, but the healthcare sides of things, specifically the PT side of things was, similar to the U S in some ways and very, very drastically different in others. Hmm. Um, similar in that it's physical therapy (laughs) technically, (laughs) um, (laughs) different in almost every other way. (laughs) Um, 
it was uh, very unique. <laughs> um, they so their schooling is just different than ours. Um, obviously, in the U.S., it's a doctorate. You know, you got to go to undergrad first, then you go to grad school. You know, it's kind of a long process. Theirs, from my understanding, is like they go to high school until they're about age 19, mm. and then they sort of choose what they want to do mm. in like some sort of higher education. And if you choose PT, it's a, I think, two and a half to three year. Um, I don't know if it's technically a bachelor's, I shouldn't be answering this question, but, um, it is not a full, like four year degree, like we would have for undergrad. Hmm. Um, and they basically come out prepared to work in like sniffs or like an inpatient rehab facility mm-hmm. or something like that, more neuro-based. Hmm. Um, and then if you want to, if you're interested in like orthopedics or something like that, they go to what's called osteopath school. And I'm doing air quotes right now to myself that <laughs> no one else can see, but osteopath is in quotes. <laughs> um, basically that just means like they do manual therapy. Um, I don't know why it's called osteopath school, but so it's very different similar but not the same also we wore white scrubs and that was terrible mm-hmm. but yeah it's yeah i mean that's hard to like any kind of smudge at all or any kind any, of like yeah. you know it's just a disaster and you, you're Jeez. you're in a hospital and there's all sorts of fluids and stuff. yeah so there i uh, i had thought about this and what i was going to say like about the like healthcare system in general like what is universal healthcare there? What does that mean? What are my thoughts on that? And I don't really know. Um, but, and I don't want to get like super political, but they do have universal healthcare. So I got to see both sides of it, you know, like how it works. Does it work? What is it like? Um, is it a good idea? Is it a bad idea? Um, I, in theory, I think it's a great idea. Um, I think there are some flaws in execution sometimes, Mm. uh, especially in different countries where the laws are just different. And I I think accountability can sometimes be an issue. So I think a U.S.-based system would be very different than what it was there. So Mm. pros and cons. Yeah, there's like pluses and minuses to each way you kind of slice yeah. it, and that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. Just like just reflecting on what you said too, I I really love that uh, when you were trying to pick your your clinical sites, you chose one where you had the opportunity to travel. You chose one that you were interested in pursuing, and then you chose one that you were uncomfortable with. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it just made me think of this quote: like life begins at the edge of your comfort zone. And so I thought it was just so cool that you were like able to to kind of branch out into these different clinical sites and, and find different ways that you could learn from each of them. Cause you can learn so much from clinicals and you know, like your clinical skills and all that kind of stuff. But like you just mentioned, you learned so much about yourself and about other things as well, not just about the clinic itself. So I thought that was pretty cool. Well, thanks. Yeah. Riley, I'm actually wondering if we can circle back to just that last point that Mike had, when you mentioned you learned a ton about yourself, especially in being in an environment that was terrifying to you, um, we mm-hmm. deal with a lot of like tragic stuff. Can you maybe speak to that a little bit? And like, what kinds of things did you learn about yourself from that rotation? Hmm. <clears throat> so I learned a lot about my 
ability to be comfortable being uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and recognize when I was like, okay, like this is way over my head for sure. Because first of all, that rotation, I was a second year going into third year. So I hadn't even taken cardio yet. It's mostly cardio. So, you know, I was in way over my head. Um, But... Uh, you know, recognizing an uncomfortable situation and saying like, okay, these are the things that I can contribute. And whether that's, you know, holding the tube or holding the IV pole, whatever, at least I'm contributing in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that was hard for me to grasp because I, I, you know, they say you have to be at a certain amount of participation in a thing. And I knew that I was never going to get there because it's not an, and being working in an ICU and working in a burn unit is not an entry level skill. Like they don't even allow new grads to go there. So I was in, initially I was very uncomfortable cause I didn't, I, I didn't think I was going to be able to make the requirement. Mm. Um, but then after I, you know, just had a little bit of communication with <laughs> my CI and, um, the folks back at SU, they said, you're not expected to be there. So it's just different. Um, so communicating, that was a huge thing for me, being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Um, I had another thought in my head that I can't remember right now, but maybe it'll come back to me. That happens to us all the time on this show. Yeah, well. Yes, so often. <laughs> it's good. Usually we'll just like, we'll laugh and be like, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And we'll say that like a few times as we're trying to like collect our thoughts. Mm-hmm. And then there'll be like an awkward, an awkward silence and then we'll laugh again and then we'll, we'll say something. We'll say something. That's usually, that's usually well, what happens. Hopefully I'll get a nice awkward laugh here soon and it'll come back. <laughs> Whatever. No, that's good. That's there's no rules. There's no rules. This is good. There's, First, there's, there's one rule. What's that? Keep your shirt on manly. Yes. Uh, um, <laughs> which actually the room that I'm in is very, very hot. And, uh, I had to take my polo off. I'm still wearing a t-shirt, but I, I did actually remove a shirt. Meow. <laughs> well, we do have you on, and we are going to be talking about the pelvic floor. So, <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So cool. Um, and we, we understand that you recently just graduated, so you're in, you're, uh, you and Jake were in the same graduating class for PT. Um, what's life like as a, as a new grad? You know, what has your experience has been since graduating? New grad life is so much fun. <laughs> um, there are, there's so much room in my life for activities. Um, I just, honestly, I don't even know what to do with all this strange time that I have. Although, you know, I work a lot, um, but it's so great. Um, I, first and foremost, I've done an enormous amount of catching up with my uh, best friends from undergrad who all live in North Carolina. And obviously because of PT school, I haven't been able to hang out with them. Um, so I'm thankful for their patience Mm -hmm. and for continuing to invite me to things. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I have like the entire month of November, I was like at somewhere different every weekend trying to like hang out with everybody and catch up. So I'm thankful for that. Mm -hmm. Um, what else have I done? I went to my first real con ed course in November in Chicago. Yeah, it was cool. Um, I, it was all about pelvic floor, obviously. Um, and it was first of all, really cold and, uh, just really interesting. And I learned a ton and it was nice to feel like a real person. Um, and I, what else? Uh, working is kind of fun. I kind of like it. 
I don't know. Okay. I'm terrified and like kind of sweaty most of the time. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> you, you, just, if I, you just described my first week at clinic this week. <laughs> Ter- terrified and kind of sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> but it's getting better. It's going to, you know, I've been there for my first day was September 25th. So I've been there like me three months ish. So I'm getting less terrified and less, well, kind of the same amount of sweaty, but uh, <laughs> it's getting better. Oh, that's awesome. So it sounds like you've had like uh, some great opportunities to kind of like reconnect with your friends and because PT school uh, definitely like takes your life away in a, in a certain way because you're preoccupied with, with schoolwork and all that kind of stuff. So that's cool that you made it able to make those reconnections. Um, I'm just kind of curious, like, uh, what your first day was like when you started your job and like what was going through your head as you were kind of like getting ready to, to walk through those doors? Great question, Mike. Um, so kind of weird. My first, so the place that I work is a hospital based outpatient. So my first day, my first real day was like me sitting in a room, listening to presentations about like my healthcare options. So I feel like that doesn't really count, but my first actual day where I was like in clinic and like seeing people was crazy. (laughs) I had three evals starting at eight, nine and 10. And then I, so like just nonstop going, 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 running around like a chick with my head cut off. Um, it was terrifying. (laughs) Um, but everybody was like the clinic that I'm at is pretty small. So uh, everybody was supportive and like, you know, they were like, okay, what do you need? Do you need a goniometer? And I was like, no, I'm doing pelvic. I don't need a goniometer. Um, so I don't know. It was just cool. And, um, what was my mental status then? Was that the second part of your question? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like what was your thought process? What was going through your head? Yeah. Um, terrified and kind of (laughs) sweaty. It's pretty much where I live all the time. But um, (laughs) what was it? You know, I was nervous, but excited to be there, excited to contribute and excited to sort of build my own caseload. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I think actually most of the people I saw on my first day were ortho patients, which is weird in retrospect. Um, But, um, you know, you know, it's your first day and you know, you're going to mess up and you know, you know, you're trying to make a good first impression. You, you, your evals at that point to you is just like a practical. So you do three practicals all in a row and you're like totally drained afterwards. Mm. Um, but now since I did, you know, my very first week I did 10 evals in four days. Wow. So 10 evals and or 10 practicals in four days. It was insane. Um, but you know, you kind of get your flow and you kind of figure out, you're like, okay, I don't need to test, you know, someone's neurodynamic mobility on everyone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you say, you know, you get sort of streamlined and you figure it out and I'm still constantly figuring things out. I change things every single time, Mm -hmm. um, for the better or worse. I don't know to be determined. Okay. That's really cool. So, so you're, I mean, you were, ter- you were terrified and kind of sweaty, which makes, which makes <laughs> sense. I, I really like that quote because <laughs> I think it's very applicable to like most situations. So that's cool. Um, yes. Uh, but so you kind of like went through your process, you, you went through your practicals per se. And what I really liked what you just said there was that 
um, you kind of adjusted your expectations a little bit to where you said it's okay to, to make a few mistakes and understanding that that's part of the process in like getting your process down. So I think that's like really valuable information that what you just said. Um, so thank you for sharing yeah. that. Uh, of course. And then I think that's cool too, cause you're, you're talking about how, uh, your process to like streamline, uh, continues to get better. Like the more that you, you practice and like figure out what works and what doesn't. Um, and that's all that like clinical reasoning piece. So that's, that's very cool. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Riley question for you. <clears throat> what, what, what are the things that, um, you've experienced as a new grad PT that you did not learn how to do in school? Um, everything that I do every single day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's no knock on Shenandoah. I learned an incredible amount. Uh, you know, I know so much about ortho <laughs> and if I, you know, if I was doing neuro or something like that, I would be totally prepared to do that. But since I do do women's health, it's totally specialized. We had what a three or four hour lecture on it one day. Yeah, I think um, Kate came in and talked about pregnancy and that was the extent of our, right. we, and then we did Kegels together with Cabes in the, uh, in anatomy class. My, okay. My, one of my favorite memories from school is when we would like caves would come in and we would do, she would talk about Kegels or when Kate did it. And like, they would say, okay, now everybody Kegel and the entire room gets silent. And it's like the <laughs> silence of group Kegeling is my favorite thing. <laughs> it's so strange and beautiful at the same time. <laughs> and then there's always like those two or three people in the class that are just like super embarrassed and like, don't, like just can't can't do that. <laughs> exactly, and their their face gets kind of red. It's hilarious. They're still wearing their backpack while they're sitting at the table. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't remember the question. Oh, what did I learn? Um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't learn anything that I'm doing now. Um, well, okay, that's not true. I did learn a lot. I learned a lot about. Wait, you're wondering what I didn't learn? Meh. Um. I learned a lot about, I'll talk about, I'm just going to pivot. I'm going to talk about what I did learn and how I apply it to my day. Pivot. Pivot. (laughs) Go friends. Go friends. Um, I learned how to take a good subjective, uh, which as we all are well aware is 80% of what you're doing. Mm. Um, I learned how to ask better questions during that subjective and I learned how to um, apply the things that I did learn into a specialty that I had no prior, no formal training in. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, and just how to be, I don't know, some of this is nature versus nurture, but like I learned how to be a person that's comfortable with saying the word anus in front of people and looking them in the eye when I say that. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, Is it wrong that I wanted to laugh when you said it? No. (laughs) (laughs) It's totally fine. Um, But, you know, most people are not cool with saying the word anus, and I say it probably four times a day. Mm. So, I don't know. It's just really – school gave me so much confidence in myself and to be successful no matter what aspect of life it is. just happens to be PT. Like, you know, if I went to PT school or I learned from these people and I did something totally else, I don't know why you would do that. But if I did, I am such a much better person from going to PT school and with our faculty specifically. Hmm. Um, 
I think they're really awesome. I can't speak enough great things about them. Yeah, it's it's like a it's like a big family almost. And you know, you talked about how SU kind of fit like a glove. And I know I know we're probably all biased about SU, but I, we've we've all talked about similar feelings where uh, you know we we went and we interviewed with the professors, and it was more of a, a conversation. Um, and you could tell they were actually invested in your future and wanted to help you succeed. Um, and that was like motivating and it, it felt, it felt warm. There were warm and fuzzies that were, that were shared there. Um, chocolate chip cookies. Yes. <laughs> yep. And some conversation with Linda Burrow. Hmm. Exactly. Oh, Linda, Linda is, Linda is amazing. What a woman. She's, She's like the physical embodiment of a York peppermint patty. <laughs> oh She's the best. She's so great. I, I, I don't have. I have so many nice things that to say about her. We would we'd have we'd have an entire podcast just about Linda Burrow being we amazing. Should, we should maybe think about getting her on the podcast. Oh, I was just about to say you guys should get her. We totally should. That would be great. Um, but yeah, I, going going back to what you had said, Riley. Too, um, you know, you talked about uh, going through PT school and how it helped you become like a better person and gave you the kind of confidence and all that. And it made me kind of think. Um, would you say that that PT school kind of like obviously you learn a lot of stuff like you learn all these different things in in school, um, but maybe the value the valuable things that you learn are are how to think critically and how do you how to approach situations where maybe you don't have the correct tools, um, but you can figure out with to you like how to use what you do have to help the person that's in front of you. Mm-hmm. Would you say that's that's pretty accurate? I uh, yes, I agree totally. Cool. That's, that's, well, that's, I'm picking up what you're putting down. That's cool. Yeah, man. (laughs) Very nice. Okay, cool. Riley, how many times in, since you've, you've started as a new grad, have you been sitting in a, in like an evaluation and just in your head, you're going, I don't know what's happening right now. Do you know what's so funny is, uh, (laughs) I actually wrote down that some, I, this is a direct quote. Sometimes I have no idea what's going on with patients' bodies. <laughs> so that happens to me literally every single day. <laughs> um, and I'm re- starting to realize that that is totally okay. Um, and it's never about putting a label on what a person has. It's not about putting them in a little box. Um, you know, when you're in school, you want to, when they give you like a case that you go over at the end and you say, okay, what was it? Was I right? Um, and that's not what it's about. It's about identifying impairments and using the skill set that you've learned and you're constantly learning and researching to try and help them the best way that you can. Mm. Um, and that was something that I'm still trying to really grasp. You know, I, I say that in theory, that's what I'm trying to do, but it's really hard to do. It's really hard. Um, and I think that's probably what makes me the most terrified and the most sweaty is when I can't, you know, I, I don't know what's going on. So, you know, I'm like, I've been doing this for three months. I'm trying not to let this person know I've only been doing this for three months. Like, what do I do? Wah, wah, wah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, that's definitely my most, uh, my biggest source of stress. Stress is a bad word cause I'm not really stressed out, but, um, you know, that's just something that I think about a lot, mm-hmm. how I sometimes just don't have any idea and I'm trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. But I really like what you said, though, like looking at impairments and using the skill sets that we've learned or that you have to be able to treat those impairments. Right. Because it goes back to that whole it was the whole topic of our um, our case presentation 
that we worked on together, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. Treat the patient, yep. not the pathology. So I feel like we get, just because of insurance, oftentimes we get kind of put in this box where we have to have a medical diagnosis, right? Where it's like you have mm-hmm. to put some sort of code in so insurance pays the money. But in all reality, like, what does that, does that matter as much as we, we think that it does? Right. And I kind of like that. Well, I've always been sort of confused why we have these like PT diagnosis diagnoses. Um, cause it's like, what, this means nothing. Like, you know, I'm not putting a name on what this person has, but like with like the pelvic codes that we use every day, it's like, okay, pelvic floor muscle weakness. Okay. Well, that's what the person has. Uh, it doesn't matter if they, you know, have a neuro injury or they have, you know, some weird thing that I've never even heard of that doesn't make any sense. It just matters that their muscles are weak. So that's what the code is. So sometimes I, I agree with the PT diagnosis thing. Sometimes I'm like, why am I doing this? I don't know. But, um, I don't know. It's always, it's been interesting getting into the world of insurance and stuff too. Um, because it's strange and confusing. <laughs> I know, I know the ones that um, at least I've used a lot and seen used a lot are like the pain codes. Like there's just kind of the general like pain in right shoulder, pain in right hip. Right. And I know insurance will approve for treating when you have that as a diagnosis. And so at least in my very limited exposure as a new clinician, i.e. like one week, um, those are what I've been using for my evals. Oh yeah. We have, we have, I use basically like the same four codes all day long. Um, but like pelvic pain is one of them, which everyone that I basically see has pelvic pain. But I, I don't know. We don't need to talk about CPT codes. But um, <laughs> mm-hmm. just a side note. How I was going to ask you how your first week is going, Manly. Um, <clears throat> let me just say, if it wasn't for the documentation, I would be living the dream right now. Um, mm-hmm. Because like being being on my own after almost four years of school plus undergrad um, is very rewarding. Like the autonomy is, is awesome. And that whole feeling of like trying to figure yourself out as a clinician and like um, even, even making the mistakes, like whether it's little things, like I forgot to do, you know, blood pressure and heart rate and the patient that I have that I'm treating has like horrible hypertension and they tell me that their blood pressure is horrible and I make a note to go take their blood pressure and I still forget to do it. Um, or not really knowing how to do reflexes very well. <laughs> like I, I went over them with Brad today. Cause I was like, dude, I don't understand. I'm just not getting like the Achilles tendon reflex. And I don't know if it's something like I'm doing wrong or what. And yeah, I just wasn't hitting hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> so there's just like little things like that, that I'm like figuring out, like I, I know how to do this stuff, but like I haven't had to do it on a consistent basis and like actually have it like tested like with like real people and not just on each like other. Like mean something. Yeah. yeah. And so it's interesting to like experience that. Um, and today, today especially was very rewarding because I had three patients in a row. I had three evals in a row um, today. I actually have like eight evals to write up this weekend, which is going to be great. Oh gosh. Um, so can you take your documentation home? Yeah. Yeah. We can take it home. Oh, that's nice. We can't, we can't do that at my place. No. Although there's definitely something to be said for the people out there for not taking your work home with you. And I make a point to finish everything before I leave every single day, mm-hmm. because when I leave that day is done, I go home. I, you know, if I'm feeling fancy, I work out, 
which is not often. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I go and I like take a shower and the day is done. Like that day is clear. I'm ready for the next day. You know, I think it's, I think that's really important for me to continue to do that. So do your notes, do your notes on the day of man. Like, come well, on. The, the, the hard part is like, I'm, I'm so new to like this. I've used this, I use the system as an intern when I was there, but, um, it's just, there's a lot of little things that I wasn't aware of at the time. Like check ah. these boxes and the EMR that we use is a little unforgiving at times. Um, plus just the, I think I've had 12 evals this week. Oh my so, gosh. You know, you figure anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour of paperwork that for me, just cause I'm slow at trying to figure all this stuff out. Um, and then trying to do like other real world stuff. It's kind of made it kind of a slow process. No, I'm totally with you. I just probably in the past like two weeks have gotten my documenting for like an eval down from like seriously a solid 45 minutes to like maybe 35, <laughs> which I think is a huge accomplishment. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it definitely takes time. And I think that's one thing that, you know, for me coming out as a new grad, I, I knew documentation was a thing. Like mm-hmm. when you're first trying to build that schedule and like literally everyone you're seeing is an, is an eval, there's a lot of documentation. There's a, a lot, lot of documentation. documentation. So I think for me, that was probably the biggest, the biggest thing. Cause the whole, like anytime I'm working with a patient, it feels awesome. Like to me, there's nothing more rewarding than um, being able to connect with somebody one to just on like a human level, like show them that, you know, you're a cool person. They're a cool person. You guys are going to have fun together when you work together. Um, uh-huh. But being able to help them um, help themselves and really take ownership of their rehab and realize that, you know, movement isn't always scary and then it can be, you know, a healing thing. That's, uh-huh. that's awesome for me. Yeah, I, I totally agree. <laughs> so we've, we've been talking a lot about, uh, you know, like PT school and, and the things that we've learned in it. And then also just like recently graduating and, and taking that first job and, and the things that you've learned. So Riley, kind of curious, and um, this is going to sound like a really fancy quote. And the reason that it sounds like a fancy quote is because I took it from a book that I'm reading called, mm. called Tribe of Mentors by Tim Ferriss. And so I want to make sure that any of these quotes that or any of these like questions that sound like super fancy or like really well thought out, are from Tim Ferriss. <laughs> and so some of these other like questions that we ask are, are not as like, I'm pretty sure he spent a lot of time trying to make sure. So I want to make sure we give the credit to them. But like, what, what advice would you give to, to a smart, like driven college student about to enter the real world? So what advice, what advice would you give? And then what advice should they ignore? Um, well, now that I know this is a fancy quote, um, <laughs> Now I feel like my answer is not going to be as exciting. Um, but this is hard because I'm not a hundred percent sure. Hold on. Pause. Does this, do I sound weird? Okay. Maybe my thing is just being weird. Um, whatever. doesn't matter. Do you you have Um, headphones on? Yes. Has anything changed? Have I been making a lot of weird noises recently? No, no, no. I was just wondering if maybe you heard like an echo or something. Cause we, we, no, I can't hear myself. We get them every once in a while and I'm not, I'm, I don't know if it's like, if my mic is like too close to me or that kind of thing. I think my, hold on. I think my headphones are just dying. Let me plug them in. Okay. 
I don't know. I just can't hear out of my right ear, so it's kind of annoying. Hmm. We'll be all right. All right, ask me that question again. So just uh, just what advice would you give to like a driven college student about to enter the real world? And then what advice should they ignore? Um, a great question. Um, but I feel like people ask me this question a lot, like when I have a patient, not this exact question, obviously, mm-hmm. but they'll say like, you know, what do you say to my son who's a sophomore in undergrad and trying to figure out what, you know, he's interested in PT, but I'm not really sure. Um I always, always tell them about PTCAS mm-hmm. um, and how I think it's so important to apply to whatever you're going to do next after, because there's always a next, you know, this never like, okay, what am I going to do? I'm just going to stay where I'm at. You mm-hmm. know, if you're so figure out how to apply to that, if you're an undergrad and you plan to go to grad school, figure out how to apply, start the prereqs, nothing like kills your motivation more than, you know, your, your senior year, of uh, school, and then you say you look at something finally because somebody told you, or you figure it out yourself, and then you realize you have to take eight more classes before you're even eligible to do it. Mm-hmm. So figure it out early and just go do it. Um, ignore. Mm, I, I don't know. I don't know if this is just my opinion, or I don't know, but it's my opinion. But like, don't overstretch yourself with clubs. Um, or like other extracurricular activities. If you like it, cool, do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't do a single club other than play softball in college, um, which isn't a club, but, um, I don't know. I think sometimes there's a lot of emphasis put on that and I'm all about like diversifying and, you know, figuring out what you like and, you know, have a hand in every pot that you want to be in, but don't go be in like rotary club. If you have no interest in rotary club, it seems silly to me. Mm. Um, I don't even know what rotary club is, but don't do it if you don't like it. Um, it's, but it's, it's frustrating for me to see people's with resumes that are like a mile long but they have no passion about any of them. Mm. Find something that you like, do it and do it well. Yeah. That's, that's really great advice. It, you know, you, it, it, you, you talk just about making sure that you're focusing on things that are important to you. And I think that's, that's so profound too, because a lot of, a lot of times people will do things to fill up, like you said, that resume and have that resume that's a mile long just for the sake of having a long and saying, look at all this stuff that I did. But when right. you dig deeper and you ask more questions about it, you know, like you said, they don't have much feeling about any of the things that they did. They just did it to pad their resume. So I think that's that's really good advice. The the other thing that I, <clears throat> that I just want to highlight too, off that is that you're you're all about being an authentic version of yourself, right? So just like what Mike was saying, like not misrepresenting who you actually are and trying to be, you know. As, as Mike had mentioned before, a mile wide and an inch deep, right, on, mm. on one of your recent uh, Instagram posts. I think, I think what you're saying, like really doing the things that interest you and being an authentic version of yourself is going to set you up for success so much more than just doing stuff to put it on a resume, right? Because especially if you go to a school that has an interview process, like they wanted to get to know you because you're going to be a part of this cohort of people that are going to go learn all this stuff and struggle together and learn together and become healthcare professionals that are going to go out into the world and do excellent things. And I mean, that's all about what we're all about on, on this podcast is like, how do you become a better version of yourself every day? And I love that you somehow in all of your like Khaleesi magic 
made that happen. Mm. <laughs> yes. Also, side note, you said something about interviews. Um, uh, my mom said this to me before my interview at SU um, because, you know, it was my first real interview and I was nervous. You know, you don't know what to expect. Um, and she said, like, you earned the seat at the table. Now go take it. Mm-hmm. Like you already have a seat. You just have to, you know, make sure it's yours. And I, that has stuck with me for like four years. And my mother is a good woman, but she did good with that one. <laughs> I, I, first of all, mama cash is a saint, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I love that. I love that quote. And I love, um, terrified and sweaty. Kind of sweaty. sweaty. Terrified and kind of sweaty. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> awesome. So we've, we've talked about a lot of different things thus far. Um, and, and I think it's a good, good opportunity to, to move into uh, some of the things that you're very passionate about and, and maybe you can enlighten us too. So, you know, uh, your job that you're working at now, you're doing a lot of pelvic health and, um, you know, was this always a passion for you or was it like a reason development when you started school? Just kind of curious. Another great question, Mike. Um, so before PT school, I had never even heard of women's health, Mm -hmm. didn't know it existed. Most like most people, um, our program director, Karen Abraham, um, had her WCS. She spoke often about it. Um, and I'm low key obsessed with her. (laughs) So I have a strong and overwhelming desire to basically live her entire life. Um, so she was like, women's health. I was like, well, what's that? Um, so I did some research about it. Um, and just wanted to investigate and figure out what it was about. Um, my so my best friend uh, worked as a nurse in a gynecologist's office in Fredericksburg, uh, and I was talking to her about it um, and said, and she was like, "Oh, we send a bunch of our patients to a PT. They rave about her. Um, how much they love her. How much she helps them. Do you want me to reach out and see if you guys can chat?" Mm. Um, so I was terrified and kind of sweaty <laughs> and said <laughs> yes, um, and I shadowed Melissa who. Um, was the PT. And for one day during first year of PT school over Christmas break, um, and it totally changed my life. Um, after that, uh, you know, that was first year. So then second year you're picking your long-term clinicals. I reached out to Melissa again and said, can I be your student? Um, and she accepted me as your student. I did my full-time rotation with her. Um, I worked really hard and was super challenged every single day by things I'd never heard of before. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually remember on my first day of my rotation, she was like, what are your goals? And my response was, I don't even know what I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and we giggled about that. Um, but I'm super fortunate that now I work with Melissa. She's my friend. She's my mentor. I see her every single day that's where I work. So I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm rare in the fact that where I did a rotation is now where I work. Mm -hmm. Um, but I am super grateful for the experience that I had. And Melissa is wonderful. I don't, she's a wonderful person. I'm so grateful for her brain. (laughs) (laughs) She's a smart cookie. Well, if, if Melissa were a cookie, what kind of cookie would she be? 
Oh, I don't know. She's Polish, so I don't know if there's a Polish cookie. Is that is that Kolachkis? Is that what they are? Is that Polish? I don't know. I'm gonna I'm googling this right now. Polish cookies. We'll find out. Well, I have directions. What are these called? Yeah, no, you're right, Mike. Kolachki. That's sweet. That's a a thing. Wow, you're you are just a fountain of knowledge. (laughs) I love your brain. (laughs) So I guess, Riley, what kind of cookie would you be if you were a cookie? Mike, I hate this question. Um, I don't know. I really like, I like the simplicity and deliciousness of a chocolate chip cookie. That's like kind of moist on the inside mm-hmm. and that's a poor word choice, but you know, it perfectly describes a cookie. Mm-hmm. Um, but who doesn't love a solid chocolate chip cookie? It's personable. It tells you a lot about, you know, you're going to see what you're going to get. And it's just good. Mm-hmm. Riley, if you had to name a friend of yours that makes the best cookies, um, who would that be? Um, I'm not, well, the first name that came to mind, I don't know what you're thinking, but was, uh, Garf. Did you want me to say you? Yeah, Yeah, you wanted to. (laughs) You make really good cookies, Manly, but Garf, okay, for my birthday one year, she gave me her secret, uh, family recipe to snickerdoodle cookies. Mm. So I'm a little partial to that. I, I understand. I know my place in this world. Down girl. <laughs> so very cool. Okay, so <laughs> let's move back to some more interesting questions. So um, so you had like these awesome connections and that kind of led you in the direction. Um, you had opportunities to kind of figure out that pelvic health and women's health was like where your your passions were. And I think that's kind of cool to draw that dichotomy too, because, you know, you thought you might've been interested in athletic training in a while back and tried it out and you said, Nope, that's not for me. And then you had an opportunity to do like women's health, public health and all that. And you said, yep, this is where I want to be. And then you followed that passion and made it a reality. So that's pretty commendable. And that's awesome. Um, so how, how does somebody who's interested in pursuing women's health like go about it? Like, What do you need to do to prepare for this career path? How do you get started? Um, what, what's your advice? Um, so first and foremost, you should find someone to shadow um, because some people, like I'll talk to other PTs or students, and they'll say, oh, women's health, that's so cool, but they don't exactly know what it entails. Mm-hmm. Um, it generally entails a lot more than people think as far as like uh, getting to know people in a way that you never really wanted to know know <laughs> about them. Um, it's very personal uh, and I think it takes a really specific type of person to be successful in this field. Mm. Um, you have to be really personable. You have to be able to look people in the eye when you say the word anus um, and because they are talking about something that's their deepest, darkest secret, Mm -hmm. potentially something they've been dealing with for like 30, 40 years. Um, So you have to be the one that's okay with, you know, taking their stress, not internalizing it, but just like taking it, allowing them to offload it. Mm And be some sort of unwavering positivity and tell them it's going to be okay. You're in the right place. I can help you. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and just to generally just be a good person. <laughs> um, but as far as, um, like if you're a student researching, you know, where a rotate, finding a rotation, doing that thing, finding a clinician, um, if you are a practicing clinician and you want to learn more about pelvic health, um, Herman and Wallace is the like go-to for uh, pelvic health continuing ed. Hermanandwallace.org, com. I'm not sure, um, but or the APTA section on women's health. They also offer classes that sort of parallel Herman and Wallace. Um, and if you are a patient or are interested in finding a women's health PT. Um, you can go on the APTA section of Women's Health webpage. Um, they have like a PT locator practitioner list. You you know type in your zip code, find a therapist who's registered with them, um, and then you know the rest is history. Find find your own way. Riley, how how does a women's health uh, evaluation go? Like I know obviously this is very personal, very different than a normal exam, but what does that entail for you as a clinician? So that's a really great question. And always the first thing that people ask, you know, they'll ask it on the phone to the um, office admins out in the front who have, you know, they're not clinicians. They don't know exactly what that means. So they're like, they don't really know what to say. Um, So basically when someone walks in, you know, we walk back to the room. I say, have you ever been to physical therapy before? And usually people say, oh yeah, for my knee, whatever. Um, And they say, and then I say, well, I bet you're wondering why you're um, seeing a physical therapist for something that you don't know if a physical therapist is going to be able to help you. And they usually laugh and say, yeah, when my doctor told me about this, I was like pretty skeptical. Um, So then I go in and say, you know, we're going to go through your your questionnaire so I can get a really good picture of what's going on with you. Um, And then we are going to examine you. We're going to look at your back. We're going to look at your hips. We're going to check your alignment. We're going to look at you as a picture and then we'll assess your pelvic floor. And what that really means is, and then I like pull out a a model of a pelvic floor and I say, okay, this is your anatomy. This is the front of your pelvis. This is the back. These are the organs that are here. And then I take them out and I say, everything else that you see here, these are all muscles. This is how this falls into the scope of physical therapy. Um, Because I think education on the front end of what to expect Mm -hmm when they're sitting there in your office is really important. Um, also letting them know that you will be assessing their pelvic floor, <laughs> both externally and internally, um, is important, obviously. Um, do you have to do an internal exam to be successful in women's health? No, but it certainly gives you a great picture of what's going on. Um, so then we do all those things. We assess, you know, their back, their hips, all that stuff. Um, and then you assess their pelvic floor. Um, there's no speculum. There's nothing crazy like that. Um, but um, a vaginal exam is the is the gold standard to assess the pelvic floor muscle contraction. Um, so a Kegel, that's what it's called. But pelvic floor contraction is like the term we use. Kegel is actually the last name of a man who wrote an article in like 1952 about pelvic floor contractions, um, which I think is so bizarre. Um, but um, you know, you get pretty um, close pretty quickly with the patients and that you have to build a rapport very quickly. Um, and the faster you're able to do that, the faster the patient will trust you and the faster you can be successful with, you know, establishing their plan of care, their goals, all of those things. Okay. Now, how does that differ for uh, a male patient? Is there any difference at all? 
I mean, other than um, Pantelia, obviously, great... but I mean... <laughs> well, I'm here to tell you the anatomy is a little different. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I so I occasionally see men that are we do we have a program with a um, surgeon who does robotic um, p- prostatectomies. Mm-hmm. So I see men, uh, I did a lot when I was a student and I do a little bit now, but I'm more doing women's women's stuff now. Um, so the exam that I do for the post or the prostate guys is very different than what you would do when I would, you would be seeing a male for a different pelvic floor issue. So I have not taken the class for that. Um, so I don't know the answer. I've only seen one true male eval, um, so I can't speak to that exactly. But the prostate guys, everything's external. You know, there's nothing crazy. It's a lot of just education, which is primarily what women's health is anyway. It's an enormous amount of education. Um, so it's just, it, it really puts a lot on the shoulders of the patient, mm-hmm. which is a beautiful thing and also kind of a terrifying thing at the same time. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you're putting the success into the patient's hands and you, you can give them the tools that they need to succeed, but it's really up to them whether, you know, they take it and run with it or they say, you know, this isn't for me. I'd rather, you know, take a pill or to deal with this or something like that. Yeah. 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 Do you guys use any sort of like diagnostic ultrasound for, um, like helping the patient visualize pelvic floor? Have you ever seen that done in like women's health? Um, so my clinic, we have that. I've actually, other than in the class that I took in Chicago in November is where I like first saw it. Um, my clinic has it. I've never used it actually. Um, I don't have a good reason just why we don't use it. Um, (laughs) I actually tried to use it with a patient. Um, and I just couldn't, I don't know. It just didn't work. Um, I feel like with my teachings from Melissa and from my course that I can, I get a really good picture of what's going on without that extra technology. So it's not a make it or break it. You don't need those things to be successful. Um, but do they help? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. They could. Okay. I was just, I was just curious cause the, the clinic I'm at, they, we have a diagnostic ultrasound and I know the clinician that's more, I don't know if she has a WCS or not, but I know that the clinician that oftentimes treats a lot of like pelvic floor um, cases uses that quite often to help people with like contractions and like teaching them how to engage certain muscles and like how to actually do a Kegel. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of verbal cueing going on. I'm here to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of curious. Um, so you, you mentioned that education is like a, a really big component of uh, your initial evaluation and kind of like building rapport and trust and that kind of stuff. Um, what kind of like misnomers are you, do you dispel or, or do you find that, that patients really come in with like a lot of like preconceived notions about um, things that are going wrong with them? And, and do you provide information that kind of makes them say, oh, I didn't think about it that way or, or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. So the number one blanket statement that I will say to people, whether this is their issue or not, which 95% of the time it is, is that it is never normal to pee yourself. Mm. Um, 
no matter what, it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how many kids you've had. Um, your life does not have to be that way. Don't settle for wearing an incontinence pad or a depend for the rest of your life. Be brave enough to talk to your gynecologist, your urologist, your primary care physician, your neurologist, whoever it is who can get you a referral to a pelvic health PT. Mm-hmm. One super small conversation that takes serious bravery can change your life in such a huge way. Um, so that's definitely number one that I, people say, you know, you know, I can live with the peeing myself. No, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, number two is that things that for, well, number two is how do I do a Kegel? Um, I'd say like 75% of people think they're doing a Kegel, but they're actually not. Mm. Um, a lot of times people will like squeeze their glutes together, um, which is not a Kegel. It's, it's the muscle in between the bones that you sit on, you know, acting like you're going to stop your flow of urine. Um, but stopping your flowing urine is not an awesome time to practice that. Um, so don't get in the habit of doing that. Um, there's that also the things that you eat and drink directly affect um, your sense of urgency or when your body tells you that you have to go to the bathroom. Um, specifically, um, coffee, things that are acidic, caffeinated, citrus, um, things like that. I, we talk a lot about people. So the first thing you do when you go to the, when you wake up in the morning is what you go to the bathroom and you completely empty your bladder. Right. So then I'll, for I'd say probably 90% of people, the first thing that they drink in the morning is coffee. Coffee is both acidic and caffeinated. So that's two strikes right there. And so what that does is it lowers the pH in your body. So your, your whole body is more acidic and then, you know, your kidneys filter goes down into your bladder and therefore your urine is more acidic, very irritating to the bladder, causing strong feelings of urgency, increased frequency, pelvic pain, you name it. Um, it's negatively contributes to those things. Um, so we talk a lot about diet. Um, tomatoes also can be very irritating to the bladder, which I was not aware yeah. of. Um a lot of foods that you wouldn't think, um, chocolate can be, milk can be, just depends. Everybody's different. Um, but it's been really enlightening. I thought it was funny that you said it just depends. Yeah. (laughs) Cause we're we're talking about life. Cause like depends or incontinence pads. Oh, I, I get it. Hilarious. You know, it actually really bothers me to see the like poise or depends commercials for, you know, people that have incontinence, but they never even mention that PT is an option, mm-hmm. but it totally is, but whatever, just a pet peeve. It's fine. Yeah. <clears throat> Go ahead, Jake. <clears throat> oh, I was going to say, it's kind of going off what you just said, people that don't know that, um, you know, pelvic health PT is a thing for people in like my position and more like general orthopedics how, what, what would you, I guess, how can I help the pelvic health cause? Like what kinds of things should I know to be able to say to my patient to help refer to a pelvic health PT? Hmm, good question. So I think you should know the, I think everyone should know the basics of what a pelvic health or a women's health PT does um, and the like base of people that they treat 
Um, and who that is, um, is anyone with any type of incontinence, whether it's fecal or urinary, um, someone who is having any type of pelvic pain or hip pain for that matter, or SI pain, or, um, we see a fair amount of people with just like chronic pain in general that manifests in the pelvis, um, both men and women, um, anyone who has pain with intercourse, male or female, um, anything that you can think of that derives from the pelvis should go see a a pelvic therapist. That's, you know, that's their wheelhouse. Um, thing, basic things that you should know. I'm not sure. Um, where to find a pelvic health PT, which is the APTA website, sexual women's health PT locator. Um, there's some in every town. Cool. That's some really valuable information. And then we'll be definitely make sure that we have that as our uh, on our list of show notes for anybody that's interested, so they can use that information to make sure that they get um, anybody that's experiencing that pelvic symptoms to a pelvic health PT. Huzzah! Huzzah. <laughs> information is power. <laughs> yes. yes. Cool. Um, Riley, could could you speak a little bit about the uh, the WCF certification? Uh, and is this something that you're interested in pursuing and, and for those that aren't familiar with it, uh, what it is? Yeah. So WCS is a women's clinical specialist. Um, it is someone who obviously specializes in women's health. Um, that's sort of a broad umbrella term. It encompasses pelvic health, lymphedema, uh, some oncology stuff. Um, it has a lot under its scope. Um, and I, I, I'm sort of conflicted about this, actually. Um, but I feel like anyone who has blank CS behind their name is prestigious, and they know their bananas. <laughs> so I feel like, you know, they're an elite group of people for sure, and I want to be a part of that. Um, for the test, um, you know, it's challenging, it's dynamic, it's, it's really time-consuming, and it, not to mention expensive. Mm-hmm. Um but at the same time, you know, they recently did a thing where if you get this specialty certification, you have to resit for the test and resubmit your portfolio every 10 years mm-hmm. to maintain the certification, which seems ridiculous to me. Um, so, um, I don't know. I think it's a beautiful thing, and I think that if you have those letters behind your name, it means you're elite and you know what you're talking about. Um, but I feel like at the same time that punishing isn't a great word, but it's sort of punishing the clinicians who want to stand out, forcing them to continue to take a standardized test that is sort of an umbrella of things when they really could be specializing in a certain area of their specialty, find what they're good at and be good at it. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, I feel like there's a better way to ensure that the elite of our field stay elite um, what that way is, I'm not sure, um, but I feel like there's a better way. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. And um, you just reminded me because my dad was talking to to one of his buddies, and I think one of his his buddies was like a was a doctor or was was something. But he was talking about how every like ten years he has to to like reset for the certification test. And when he had graduated school, he graduated as a generalist. And so when he took his board exams and all this kind of stuff, he he was preparing for that like generalist type of view 
But then he got into a practice where he was very specific and he specified and let's just say orthopedics, I can't remember. Um, and then he was coming up to that point where he needed to study for everything once again um, and prepare for that exam that for everything, even though he had specialized and got really good at one area. So I, I, I can see where you're coming from and how that can be kind of frustrating, uh, especially like you said, if you had gotten the certification and then specialized within that. Um, and so it's, it's definitely a, a source of confliction. I can see that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think about the CSs or, you know, whatever you guys want to be OCSs, I'm assuming SCSs. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's actually been interesting because we've been trying to put together a, uh, so you want to be a, um, series. Mm-hmm. And so we just, we had uh, Mike Warehound um, on the show, a couple of podcasts back talking about sports residencies and the SCS certification. And we're hoping we can get some others on talking about OCS and, and fellowships and NCS as well. Um, and so, you know, and, for where I am, at least, I'm still trying to, to figure that out. Um, I'm kind of mm-hmm. much in a similar boat with you in terms of uh, it, I, I view that as like, you know, your bananas and, you know, you're, you know, <laughs> you're, you, you focused and, and you've taken this, this exam and you've taken some time to dedicate to this. And, and I think that's good, but still trying to figure out if that's the right choice for me. Uh, what, are you, what, yeah. what are your thoughts, Jake? Um, you know, it's interesting because I, I just had a... Um, like education plan meeting at my clinic. So my clinic owner and then um, some of like the kind of educational advisors um, at our clinic, we sat down together and we kind of talked about what my goals were. And for me, because I don't know that an SCS would really benefit me um, other than maybe going through like a sports specific residency, but I don't know that because I already have an ATC and I'm already like a licensed athletic trainer, I don't know that that would really do anything for me other than just more experience with like maybe D1 or pro sports teams. Um, And then because I'm also doing the performing arts medicine thing, like that's kind of its own little specialty, I guess. Um, So I talked to them about um, pursuing kind of like an OCS without having to do a residency. So I'm looking at taking like the, the Vomti courses um, and then kind of studying independently and sitting for the OCS. Um, and then there will be some opportunities for like mentorship and stuff through my clinic to just, you know, make sure that I've got the content down that I would need for that. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I don't know that it really would do anything for me other than um, I think part of the benefit is preparing for the tests, Right. Because you have to learn so much more and make sure that you know your bananas. But I, I don't know <laughs> that for me personally, like, you know, if it was me with with an OCS after my name and me without an OCS after my name, I'd still be the same me, right? I might know a little bit more information and maybe know some more bananas than previous me did. Um, <laughs> but I think for for me, it's just more education. Like, I, I, at the end of the day, I could really care less what letters are behind my name. Um, I'm even, I mean, I know I have quite a few of them right now, but that doesn't really matter to me that much. What matters to me is can I provide the best possible patient care? And to me, going down that rabbit hole and kind of pursuing that would give me more knowledge to be able to provide better care for my patients. So I know that's kind of like a super winded response, but, um, I I guess I'm interested in pursuing the OCS and then also kind of seeing where the performing arts thing takes me. 
So I'm kind of looking into um, like the International Association of Dance Medicine, IADAMS, and then also potentially the uh, Performing Arts Medical Association, PAMA, and seeing if there's any sort of specific courses I could take through that um, to just kind of up my game when I'm working with like dancers or musicians. Mm -hmm. so. Cool. Yeah. Very nice. Cool. Um, so I have another question for you. Um, we talked a lot about being, you know, feel, we talked about a lot of stuff on this podcast and this has been very enlightening in a lot of different regards, which is very cool. Um, just kind of curious too, like when you feel overwhelmed or like unfocused, um, what do you do to kind of like get yourself back on track or like de-stress or anything like that? Like what, what is your, what are your go-to strategies or techniques? I take a deep breath or I take a second, I take a deep breath and I move on. Mm -hmm. It's like those five, I don't know how many, know how many words that is, um, have stuck with me for a while. And I, that really what is what gets me back to being me. Um, you know, in the middle of an eval, if I have no idea what's going on, I take a second, I take a deep breath and I just move on to the next thing that I know I need to tackle. Um, and just finding what else I can, how else I can contribute to something, whether it's, you know, am I, am I raking the leaves in my yard? Does this section need more? Or am I do, should I actually examine the shoulder in this back patient or, you know, what, what can I do? Um, but it's definitely tough, but that's what I found for me works the mm -hmm. best. I think there's a lot to be said about, um, about that. And it, and it kind of ties into what you said at the beginning of the podcast too, about like, uh, your expectations and just kind of like managing your expectations and just being like, it's okay to, to make mistakes. Uh, it's part of the process. I'm going to take this breath. We're just going to move on and, and keep going. That's, that's cool. That's very cool. That's good advice. Thank you. Sweet. You're welcome. <laughs> Riley, I have kind of a weird yeah. question for you. Um, I'm excited. It goes back to what you had said earlier, um, something along the lines of it's not normal to pee yourself. Is that <laughs> is that how you phrase it? Mm -hmm. Did I say that right? It's, it's never, never normal, normal to, to pee, pee yourself. yourself, yeah. I was wondering if that would potentially be the title of this podcast. I think that's because a beautiful title. <laughs> I, know, I know it seems kind of like awkward and somewhat like not professional, but I feel like part of the whole message that you've kind of talked to us about with like pelvic health PT is like, you need to be comfortable saying things like that. And those are kind of questions like, you know, incontinence, stress incontinence, fecal incontinence. Those are things that we should, as you know, general kind of ortho -y type PTs, we shouldn't be afraid or embarrassed to say those things. And I know that in my first week of clinic, I definitely had an SI case where there may have potentially been some opportunity for me to ask those questions and because I'm a dude and I just was uncomfortable, I didn't, I didn't do that. So I was wondering if, mm -hmm. if you thought that would be a good title or if we should call it, um, terrified and kind of sweaty. <laughs> I think, I think never normal to pee yourself is a beautiful title. I, <laughs> I agree. Mike, are you okay? I love that. Are you okay if we call it that? <laughs> <laughs> Heck yes. No, I think that's, I think that's perfect. Um, and it, it, like you just said, it reinforces in that, that point. It's never normal to pee yourself. So I think that's great. We can get that message out there in more ways than one. Huzzah. Mm -hmm. Excelsior. 
state motto of the state of New York. Uh, is it really? Well, I learned that in Silver Linings Playbook, so I'm not sure if that's actually true, but I think so. Hey, I believe it. Um, <laughs> I, I grew up in New York, and I don't I don't know things. So that's oh. – yeah, I feel like that's something I should know, but – Fun fact, uh, the uh, state – Bird, flower, and I think tree for North Carolina and Virginia are the same. Isn't that ridiculous? Oh, really? Other fun fact. Did you know that the yes. state vegetable of Oklahoma is the watermelon? It's I not know. even a vegetable. Look it up on Google. It's a real thing. <laughs> Oklahoma actually this was like this was like eight years ago. They voted to make the watermelon the state vegetable. <laughs> Oh no. That's like the uh there was like a submarine or something that they allowed the internet to pick the name for and the internet picked McBoatface. like Bodie McBoatface. Gotta, yes. <laughs> gotta gotta love the people on Reddit and 4chan. Oh yeah. Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> Riley, I love I one of my favorite things about you, I mean, other than just the fact that you're you, is that very often you will just randomly send me something from Reddit that is just pure gold (laughs) and oftentimes in our group (laughs) message with brooke like it's like you and me sending reddit stuff back and forth and brooke just like not knowing how to comprehend things (laughs) (laughs) not responding whatsoever (laughs) the greatest the greatest gosh well riley we're uh we're running at the near the end of our show here and so there is one question that we we ask all of our guests on the show and so, yeah, Uh-oh. here it is. We're going to lay this on you. Uh, so, so we here at the Movement Docs, we believe in always moving forward in all that you do. So based on all of your previous experience and knowledge and life, the pursuit of happiness, what is one piece of advice that you would give to anyone listening to this show to help them be the best versions of themselves? Um, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Buy good soap and use a squatty potty. All right. I can't believe that it's come this far before you mentioned the squatty potty. Well, <laughs> I just felt like it should be the crowning achievement. All right. Let's just talk for a moment about what a squatty potty is. A squatty potty is the greatest invention since like sliced bread. It is seriously the greatest. It will change your bowel movement game and in such a huge way. So if you don't have a squatty potty, you don't have to go out and buy one. But you could use a sideways trash can. You could use a stepping stool. Um, but put it under your feet. When you're having a bowel movement, it will change your life. Just trust me. Hmm. All right. I'm definitely going to have to try that. There's, like, no better you're way welcome. to, like, end this podcast than that. You're, you're <laughs> right. It is the crowning jewel. <laughs> um <laughs> Oh, and supposedly it makes unicorn poop rainbows, right? Isn't that what the commercial does? I can neither confirm okay. nor deny. Or should we link the sure. Squatty Potty YouTube video to this? To our uh, <laughs> yes, that definitely needs to happen. Is, is that the second picture on our Instagram post? Is it the SU bridge, then the unicorn Squatty Potty picture, and then the pelvic floor from Netter? A hundred percent. Brilliant. Oh, my God. I love it. So, Riley, <laughs> we, we can't thank you enough for taking the time to be on our show today. If, if anyone listening to this show wants to get into contact with you, what's the best way that they can do that? Uh, they can totally email me at Riley Cash at – wait, hold on. Let me spell that. It's a little crazy. R-E-I-H-L-E 
dot K-A-S-H at M-W-H-C dot com. Mary Washington Healthcare dot com. Perfect. Awesome. So thank you for that. And so if anybody wants mm-hmm. to get in contact with Riley, you got their, you got her digits. Well, not digits. I guess it's more of email. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. Yeah, you have my, you have my, you figure, my characters. Get the letter. Yeah, that's what it is. The letters. The kanji. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And please, anybody reach out. I'm more than happy to talk to, about anything. So Her favorite topics are Game of Thrones, Reddit, and Pelvic Health. Huzzah. <laughs> awesome. So thanks again for tuning in this week where we spoke with Riley Cash. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or have a topic you'd like us to discuss, shoot us an email at tmdmovementtalks at gmail.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.